0: Welcome to the things I thought about when my body was trying to kill me. I'm Ray Suarez. I'm a journalist, an author, and most importantly for this story, a cancer survivor. Well, a cancer survivor so far. In this episode of the program, I'll tell you about giving in to the idea that I was a really sick guy and hearing those three momentous words. You have cancer. Your life has just changed. And the end of your life... Maybe a lot sooner than you had been counting on. Episode 2 What's the worst that can happen? I grew up in the shadow of cancer. When I was a kid and various family members or neighbors got the word, a grim countdown began. Parts of your insides were quickly removed. Maybe you bought some time. But in those days, it was considered a race you were eventually going to lose. It was only a matter of when, not if. But stunning progress had been made over the years. As people lived longer, we also got a lot better at diagnosis, at treatment, even remission and cure. So just past my 60th birthday— I was in an age cohort which remembered cancer as a death sentence and also knew people who lived long and full lives after a diagnosis. The in-your-head you, the smart guy who does television and radio interviews with top doctors and shoots stories in hospitals about breakthrough procedures, writes and edits stories about various cancers becoming manageable, chronic illnesses, that guy? He pops up when you get the news, But mostly, and maybe more appropriately, it's the gut guy, not the thoughtful, careful reporter who hangs around most of the time. If you've never been through this, you may not realize you don't get the information you want and need all at once. You only find out bad news gradually, in dribs and drabs. At first, you know you have cancer, and you know where it is. At the beginning. You have no idea how bad it is, because it's too early to know how bad it is. Because of that, it's also too early to know how to think about yourself. You may be dying. You may be embarking on a few months' treatment that ends in a clean bill of health. And boy, oh boy, there's a lot of real estate between those two poles. The way I figured it, you had to consider the possibility that you were just now taking the first steps down a path, long or short, that leads to you being dead. Over the years, my insurance guy had me plan to live for a long time. My financial planner based all his figures on the odds of my living a long time. All that planning, all that saving, may have well been just to take good care of my wife for many years to come. Now, granted, not the worst thing, but I was not only taking the idea on board that I wouldn't see 80—a lot of people don't— but also the possibility that I wouldn't, unlike the vast majority of American men my age, even see 70. I was enveloped, closed in by deep sadness. Not so much for me—after all, my troubles would be over— but for my wife, who had been the principal other person in my life since we were teenagers for more than 40 years, and my kids, 29, 27, and 18. And the prospect of having my own father outlive me was horrifying. I watched him crater after my mother died and wondered if this, on top of it, would just be too much to bear. Oh, there was plenty to be sad about, and along with my sadness, there was anger. The anger surprised me. It was a white-hot, wildfire anger. I hadn't caught a pathogen. I hadn't been in an accident that damaged me. No burns or broken bones. A few cells deep inside me had gotten some bum code. The parts of those cells that regulated division, new cell life, were out of control. Left unattended, these cells would grow in a concentrated way, spread to other parts of my body, and then grow out of control in those new places too, and eventually, colonized by myself, my body wouldn't work anymore, and I would die. The exquisitely responsive arsenal of the immune system goes after an infection, or a foreign object like a nail, a splinter, or a piece of glass. That always vigilant system, ready to attack something from the outside world that didn't belong in me, would be totally unaware, too busy looking out the window. My immune system would set off no general alarm. No forces of fluid or phages would be heading somewhere to respond. My tumors, like my eyes, like my tongue, like my liver was me. No cause for alarm, no need to respond, an unwatched part of myself was killing me. The cells were out of control, and none of this was in my control. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on The Paper Fold, where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in The Stationery Community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Even people who've known me well and for a long time would have a hard time remembering seeing me in a rage, in an extended bout of temper. But part of that story is my own treasuring, maybe too much, of a sense of control, a sense of agency, an insistence that I wouldn't just let life happen to me, that I would have at least one hand on the steering wheel at all times. Sovereignty autonomy, participation. Now, some of that is an illusion, of course. You can't be fully in control of your life. But it was a cherished illusion. I insisted on being myself. I insisted on a role in the decisions. And now, in a few words from a sympathetic doctor, that all changed. I was now controlled by events rather than being in control of them. I was now going to be swept along into experiences over which I had no say, no control, no agency, a narrowing set of choices rather than the wide-open menu I had fought for all my adult life. Believe me, sad and angry is a weird combination. Sadness might tamp your energy down. Anger revs you up. But if you've been through this experience yourself or been at the side of someone who's going through it, you may have experienced some of that. The way you find things out only a little bit at a time, things are more tentative than you need them to be, here's the surprise. As I contemplated a much shorter life than the average American man can plan for, as I waited impatiently for the results of the next test, for the scheduling of surgery, I was not... Tamped down by sadness or revved up by anger, instead, an air of calm descended. With a little self-reassurance, with a little relief even, I realized I was not afraid. I even surprised myself a little bit with the realization that whatever was going to happen, I had only a narrow window for changing any of these outcomes myself. Now, maybe that is in part shaped by genetics. It might be the unpredictable outcome of being raised by one optimist and one fatalist who married each other and produced me. I was raised by a guy who hustled like he could outrun fate and believed all things eventually worked out. And a woman who more or less believed your fate was sealed, who lived with the certainty that really, we're all kind of doomed. Out of those DNA strands, you might be given the great gift of being an optimistic fatalist. That was me. It may be why the one thing I never said was, why me? Because after all, why not me? There are about 100,000 new cases of colon cancer diagnosed every year. Roughly 5% of American men and women will be diagnosed in their lifetime. It's the third most commonly diagnosed form of cancer. So really, it could have been me. It could have not been me. It could have been you. 50,000 Americans die every year from what I had. Why me? Never occurred to me. I had to let it go. But I wasn't in the letting-go frame of mind, so I had to force myself. Maybe my body was trying to kill me. I just didn't know yet. I couldn't know yet. And that had to be okay. In the next part of the story, six decades of unremarkable bodily integrity comes to an end. Things go in, things come out, and I had to let it happen. Thanks for listening to The Things I Thought About When My Body Was Trying to Kill Me. Of course, we're still right at the beginning. There's a lot that has to happen, physically and emotionally. These aren't things I would have chosen to happen to me, but they are the things that happened as they do to hundreds of thousands of Americans every year. Maybe even you, or someone you care about. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and pass it on to others facing the same challenges. Somebody it might help, not only to find out how it goes, but maybe to compare notes or listen for insights that can comfort or reassure. In the next episode, a calm and furious patient, I head to the hospital to get opened up. I had to cover up my anger a little and be calm enough to cooperate with the people who were trying to help me and the people who love me. Join me for the next installment, My Body Was Trying to Kill Me and I was trying to make it stop. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider writing a review or sharing with a friend. This is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Thanks go to producer and audio engineer Sean Rule Hoffman, production director Bridget Coyne, and executive producer Gerardo Orlando. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.